Hello, welcome back to another episode of Curating Conversation. Thank you very much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Now, my guest today is an artist and a collector and a wonderful friend of mine, Mr. Aubrey Higgin. He is based between London and the West Midlands, and his art is made up of fabulous nature-inspired textural abstract, kind of huge paintings. And we got into that today and also discussed how it's actually his granny who got him into painting, firstly doing watercolours, uh, and then, you know, Gerhard Richter rocked his world and changed his whole direction. And then we discussed a little bit about the years he lost to illness and how art became a, a power for restoration and healing for him. And, uh, of course, half the chat is going to be about his collecting and who he thinks the next big artists are going to be. So listen in for that. But anyway, I'll let you guys enjoy and I'll catch up with you at the end. Cheers. So I'm joined by the delightful Aubrey Higgin. Aubrey, thanks for joining me. Leo, it's absolutely marvellous to be on. Our art journey has sort of created this sort of amazing friendship and I'm admiring what you're doing and it's really great to see a young gallerist around and uh, me and you sending our midnight conversations about art. Our girlfriends, I think, probably get very jealous thinking, who who are these people (laughs) talking the whole time? And all we're actually talking about is who we think is the next artist to watch out for, which is always quite interesting. But it's great to be here and talk to you about my practice and just about art generally. No, absolutely. It's it's a pleasure. I mean, flattery will get you everywhere. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, you're of right. Course, it's, of course. <laughs> It's been, no, it's, been, it's been lovely and yeah, we do have lots of conversations. I think it's rare that one of our telephone conversations will be under an hour. So I think that just sort of goes to show how much we have to talk about. <laughs> I know, I know. I know, poor listeners, poor listeners listening in. What are they going to listen to today? That's the <laughs> thing. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely right. So let's get into it. So Aubrey, for those who don't know you, do you want to just give a little bit of a bio about you know, who you are, what you do and why you do what you do? Yeah, so I am so I'm an artist. I work in oil painting and oil paint, very textural, very gestural. Uh, my work sort of are very connected to nature. Uh, the oil paint comes off the surface three or four inches. The, the work is inspired by like everyday life, but having grown up in, in the countryside, nature is probably my biggest inspiration um the work the work sort of channels lots of different things it's it's channeled you know color therapy which looks at people with health and health issues but also looking at say like a wave i will try and distill a wave and get very close to it and try and almost add a dimension where you almost have to think what you what are you looking at in that moment and you step back and then you realize it's a wave but as you get close to the wave you're almost feeling like it's it becomes all about the materiality of paint um and that's what i'm what that's what i love is the materiality of paint and i think and i think because of that as we'll probably discuss later my collecting side i'm very drawn to things which are very almost the opposite of my own style it's sort of things which are you know surreal very much flat very beautifully crafted painted and actually not never really textural things which is quite bizarre because I admire so many textural artists but because I do it myself it's not something I'd ever be interested in adding to my collection and I think think when you speak to a lot of artists that is actually bizarrely what they don't do is almost what they want to collect because you probably look at a work and you're like okay how how the hell have they done this uh but then obviously my all-time favorite artists and I definitely wouldn't turn down to having my collection are people like Ritz uh you know John Hoyland you know, all these greats back in the day, proper abstract expressionism artists. But 
I'm very into this surreal craze at the moment, as you know, Leo. Um, and also love African yeah, artists. Absolutely. I think there's a great journey at the moment. But um, I'll let you carry on. So. No, that was a brilliant little intro into sort of what you do and and how you do it, really. So let, let's dial it right back to, you know, what was your earliest experience of art? When can you begin interacting with art? Okay, so it's quite a good one. So it was actually my mum would drop me off to my granny and she's an artist. Um, so she's an amazing watercolorist. And I I remember at the time, I'd get dropped off and my brother, obviously, he's, you know, he's very academic and he's slightly, we'd, we would have played our football and both of us would have been like, okay, we're at my granny's. My granny would go and spoil us, give us like, you know, cook us a nice meal. And then suddenly, this is probably at age three or four, she would be like, okay, let's try and get you into art. Let's see what happens. My brother was sort of just like, just left the room, had not any interest. I straight away, he just thought, I'm not getting involved in this. So me me and my granny, I've become, managed to blag to be the favorite grandson just because of my love of art. It's still, it's one of those things, whenever she sees me now, she's just like, oh, I'm so happy you're an artist. And it's quite funny. But um, <laughs> yeah, so what actually happened was it was quite a bizarre one. It was sort of, I, I think I was in this drawing class and, you know, as a four-year-old, I don't know, I must have seriously been on my game, but as a four-year-old, I noticed this girl was like, oh, you're obviously very good at, you're naturally quite good at drawing. So then I suddenly thought to my granny, this is a great way of getting days. So I started drawing these cats at my granny, bizarrely cats, and then giving them to girls in my class. Um, I, it was it was very weird. It was very weird, but it it seemed to work. I don't know why it seemed to work. Um, so I don't know. There's obviously lots of. It'd be quite funny now to see where these cats have gone. Uh, I don't know why. I just would always draw cats, um, and then it became so at age sort of, four. You, know, you were the art room stud. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Using you know using your artwork. It basically in, in a bad way awful he should have really i'm surprised the teacher didn't take me to the side <laughs> um and 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 yeah and i think the thing is Leo, it's sort of it's one of those things it's sort of i think because of that and i think naturally anyone in art or any i think in any subject if you if it's naturally someone you know when you're younger if people think you're okay at it you obviously you get into it because it's something what people compliment you. And I know that's a bizarre way, but when you're at that age, you are drawn to your subjects. Like I'm sure my younger brother would have been a good artist, but because he was good at, you know, math or something, he didn't have that interest. And I just would, yeah, I just paint these very much these sort of water, literally landscapes in Shropshire and Cheshire the whole time only using watercolor um and it became like my whole thing and then when I was at school I was very fortunate they gave I won this prize and got a scholarship and I came then on to my senior school and the teacher looked at me and was like what is wrong with you 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 do the most boring <laughs> watercolors in the world. You need to actually try and develop your style. And from being someone who painted very realistic, I suddenly, he introduced me to Gerhard Richter. And this was probably when I was only, yeah, 13, 14. And I just became fascinated with abstract. Even at that age, I was starting to paint abstract works. Obviously you had your school syllabus, you know, you know, you'd have your GCSEs and, you know, you do portraits, but at that age, suddenly my style started shifting. Um, and I think in a way at the time I was like, Oh God, who is this man who tells me? And I, I remember I told my granny and my granny was like, that's outrageous watercolor watercolorists are it's the form of all forms um and 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 i went into oils and it became this almost fascination but i think the funny thing with it is i think 
looking back, I think it was very good. But also, I think it's at the same time. I think you should almost just do what you want to do. Because actually now, looking at it, I see quite a few amazing watercolorists like Nicholas Party. Um, and they're having a real, you know, it's having a real revival. And I think that's great. When I told my granny that, she was just like, I always knew it. And she's 90 and she's still painting away. But, you yeah, know, <laughs> that was my memory. It was probably, I've got to thank my granny for getting me into art. Sort of, it was that dump, being dumped there and almost doing it as a hobby. And then it suddenly just became this love and this fascination. So I think from probably age 11, I'd say, which is, I would what I wanted to be an artist, but obviously you have to be realistic. You know, it was a it was a pipe dream until sort of even till twenty. Um, and I've been very mm. fortunate at the moment that I've got into some decent galleries and it's going well so far. Uh, we'll see in five no, years' absolutely, time. Where absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm sure you're on a, you're an upward trajectory, no doubt. And it's, it is interesting seeing how, you know, early experiences such as, you know, being dumped with your granny can actually, you know, spell out the rest of your yeah. life. But let's talk a little bit about how, what does, when you're painting, where does it take you? Because like for you, it's a very personal, emotive, almost, I mean, I, I hasten to add therapeutic sort of experience for you. It takes you to an otherworldly place. Let's talk a little bit about that process for you. Completely, completely. And yeah, Leo, if I keep going on, just cut me out because I know I <laughs> do like to ramble on sometimes. So just let me know. Um, I think, yeah, it's that whole meditative process. As I say, I almost, when you're painting, I think an oil, oil is, it's weird because oil and watercolour are so different. But actually, I think anyone who's worked in watercolour will almost be very accustomed to working in oils because in watercolor it's all about you know you paint for example you put maybe a layer of water across the surface and you're letting the paints almost run into each other and in oils i get the same feeling when i'm painting it's sort of i'll you know i'll be working with like titanium whites viridian greens and i'll just be literally spreading it with a palette knife and suddenly in that moment, I'm like, okay, that looks looks amazing. And I'm not actually looking at the image. I'm just looking purely at the colors and how the colors change from adding maybe 5% titanium white or 20% titanium white compared to Viridian Green. And I feel, yeah, you just lose yourself. I, I, I often feel, I don't know, it's probably the same for most artists, but I feel the starting block of a painting is the hardest part. You know, the first two minutes or, you know, the first hour you're in your studio and you're like, okay, I need to be inspired. And then soon as you get painting, you lose yourself. And I feel that that's, you probably can see that in my work. I just lose myself and it becomes almost this whole meditative process. And it becomes all about, like an experiment in a way. I think, you know, you're you're wanting to see, you have these ideas in your head, uh, but then while you're in the process, you're almost thinking, okay, I'm going to add six inches of oil paint here and let's see if it works. And sometimes it doesn't work and you've just blown a canvas and then you're like, okay, I'm, that canvas is just going to go ignore it. I'm going to put it on the side for two months and then suddenly another idea comes back and you're like, okay, I'll work over that. And then suddenly, you know, you, someone comes around to my studio and they're like, cool, what have you put on this painting? And it's purely oil paint. I think Winsor and Newton think I'm the dream client. <laughs> um, it's sort of, it's it it's it's one of those ones, I think. I, actually, a little tip for all the artists out there, definitely probably Windsor and Newton will get annoyed with me now saying this, but after you've bought enough paint off with them, definitely try and go for the trade deals because at the start, they said to me, you know, yeah, we only give you 10% off. And I was like, 
you know, I'm using more materials than a little shop. So please, uh, surely you can do something. And actually now they're very fortunate to give me 50%. So for any artists out there, I think the business side of it, you have to be a bit cunning sometimes, you know, because it just means I, I don't know, Leah, you've been to my studio um, up up in Cheshire, and um, not my London one, have you? Um, but it that, that you just see the dozens of paint. It's, it's like, chock a block. Yeah, no, I mean you get paint, through a hell of a lot. I think, I mean, easily more than a large shop, never mind a small shop. You, you're a you're a prolific, prolific painter, and it's great to see. <laughs> and so for you and your work, of late, you, you've kind of gone away from depicting the more obvious landscapes or water lilies that you're known for. What was the kind of um, changing yeah. point for you to go more abstract with things? I think, um, so the big thing is, so with... For example, you know the lilies. The lilies, at first, it became very much this blurring of paint and looking at, say, people like Monet, but actually trying to make it very contemporary where the work almost feels that it's 3D, so it comes out the surface. And over time, obviously, was looking... I spent... I This, is, this was sort of when I was in Cheshire, spent two summers visiting all these lily fields and would go there to these ponds and they were they were they were amazing and I would just find these I'd go for a walk and I'd find these amazing little lily ponds in Shropshire. And it really I was fascinated by it at the time. But then what happened was after a while you after you paint enough lilies, you're sort of like, okay, I'm lilied up. I don't know how Monet's done it or you know, he did it for 30 years, hats off to the man. Um, you've got to be lily obsessed to do that. But I think, as you've seen with my practice, it then the lilies became, started to loosen up. So the works became more blurred at the top. If you see my most recent lilies, uh, the top starts blurring. And I think that's sort of what led me on to my abstracts because what interests me is when you look outside say to the sea you look at something in the distance and you see the sea and the sea just never stops it it continues and you're looking on and all you see is the sea and i feel, felt when you looked at these big lily ponds all you see is lilies but as it gets further and further away and your eyesight just starts blurring and you're losing almost complete perception of what you're looking at it just becomes a big purple pond and i felt with that that interest became why don't i take that on a more abstract route which is obviously what i love is working um working in that way so i thought why not look at sunsets why not look at you know even just a blade of grass even just a river and just focus on like the li literally timesing it by a hundred, zooming in, but not zooming in on a detail, zooming in on how like a curvature, you know, maybe on a river, how a river curves, how it bends round. And that sort of became the focus with the abstracts. It was almost distilling, it was looking at something almost closely yet distilling all the detail from it mm. yeah i think i get that especially you've got a couple of a uh, couple of blue works that you recently showed with uh, neon in london at your last show there uh, and they're incredible yeah i think i can't think what they're called uh, i think it's i think the what the, the, the small blue one that you know the one i'm referring to yeah yeah the tactile landscape series um so that one so you've got sea soul and um the tide the little blue one i think the tide yeah yeah and there's on. no one called like spring something clear springs or something clear springs yeah clear springs exactly exactly yeah that's the badger um yeah that's on but i think yeah, Neon was amazing, actually. And Neon, to be fair, uh, actually through your feedback and Neon, I was speaking to you and Neon. And I remember you were both being like, we love your lilies, we love your waves. 
you know, your handling of paint is very interesting, but we also love your abstract works you did earlier. Is there a way you can almost relate them? And I think when talking to both of you guys, I remember me, I was having a good chat with you about it. And then Dimitri and Chris Shakespeare, who are um, the neon directors, they're both, they're both amazing. Dimitri actually, um, he's been, you know, he's on a lot of boards of, and he's worked at Christie's and Chris is this very, you know, this amazing guy who worked at unit London and then house of fine house of fine art. Um, and actually for any of your listeners out there at the moment, they're doing an artist emerging artist competition. So anyone who hasn't, you know, wants a gallery or, you know, they're, I think they're taking submissions in at the moment and I think they'll be selecting one artist and they get a year representation with the gallery. And I think they're doing, I say they think, I think they're doing, I know they're doing because I'm in the show. Um, They're doing a group show in Piccadilly. Um, So for anyone out there, if you want, if you want to have a group show there, I definitely recommend applying and, you know, they're a really great team and it's a small team. And I think that's so important. You know, the galleries I work with, you, Neon and Nova, they're all small teams. Um, And I find that for me, that hands-on approach is just so key because me and you will regularly be chatting, you know, at least a couple of times a week. And I think that's the best way to develop your practice. Um, But anyway, back, we've obviously, I've gone off track a little bit. Uh, but back to that neon show. Yeah, it was it was a very it, it was a very interesting show, and it was the first time I'd shown those type of works. And I was sort of at the time thinking, okay, people are going to be, what are they going to think? And generally, I think the feedback was it was amazing. And I think I don't know, it can be hard because I think abstract artists, the feedback you can always be quite interesting. I remember a comment from someone who said to me said said, I didn't realize you know you were young. I thought you were in your 70s or 80s because you paint everything's about landscape and the environment. And you're very, you seem to be a, a very much a romantic. And I'm, and I was like, yeah, no, I'm 28. And I, and I just love working <laughs> in oils and doing this. And he was like, no, it's good on you. And it was very old. He was like this old school art, art dealer. And it was quite funny, but but yeah, no, I think with this series at the moment, I'm trying to just keep pushing it further. So it's, you know, it's taking the paint, you know, I've started developing simple sculptures as well, where the works it's distilling. This is a bit more of an experimental phase. And I think it's, but I'm just trying to basically create oil. I think oil paint is such an interesting, you know, it's such, you know, it's, it's a, it's a material we've used, you know, for thousands of years. And, you know, when you see on the wall a Munnings or Stubbs, you know, beautifully painted, but actually oil paint is also so contemporary. And I feel you can just keep pushing with oil paint. It's almost so malleable the way you can almost, you know, I feel like when I'm using my palette knife, I'm almost carving. And I think that's the whole process is, my paintings are almost, they're very sculpture-like and I feel that's what's lending me at the moment into doing some sculptures on the side is trying to distill these paintings so much in a way that they become lifelike. Um, so, yeah. No, brilliant. I think, yeah, your kind of transition <laughs> from more traditional to the utterly contemporary is brilliant and i think you're i mean i'm a huge fan of your most recent abstract work i think they're really really strong um to touch on your holistic artist journey what's been the biggest challenge for you as as an artist i'd say um i think the first one i found actually quite hard would have been when i first went to art school that was that was a hard journey because it was slightly I remember the where I went, it was very much, you know, very video based and very much performance based. And I didn't, in a way, I actually, I don't know, I went through a period thinking, 
actually, I'm not sure if I want it. This was probably the time when I questioned everything the most. And I was like, I'm not sure if I want to be an artist. Um, and it was actually when I was, I got ill. I think I told you, so I went to, um, I went abroad, got dengue fever and weirdly had, you know, had a year out because I was, you know, bed bound, had a really bad time. And it slightly made my whole process change. I, I came back and my work became this feeling. I wanted to create therapy. You know, I wanted it to be therapeutic and how these works came about was purely, I built this room probably 20 foot by 20 foot. I think every artist hated me when I came back for the degree shit. They were like, who is this guy who is the year above us who no one knows that well, he hasn't been here for a year. And I had just started building this, basically i called it the room and it was sort of 20 foot by 20 foot it it was almost a catalog of what i'd been through and it but then what i was trying to do was create hope and it was all about how you know there isn't you know without sounding corny there is you know there's always light at the end of the tunnel um and i think now if i hadn't been ill i genuinely believe I wouldn't be an artist because I feel I would have gone down maybe, you know, I would have gone down something in the arts, but maybe not down the artistic route. And I feel that, you know, having those challenges are so important. And I feel when you look at all great artists, you know, as me and you, we're both massive fans of Alexander Guy. Um, and he's he's had so many challenges. And I feel you see that in the work and if you've had all these good moments your work becomes a bit boring and it has to relate to what you are and for me it was being stuck in this room basically the whole time for a year and I feel that's why now my work is so much about of it is color trying to make you feel just more positive and just trying to make you feel uplifted um and yeah, now my focus is maybe more nature, but that color aspect is still so important. Um, and I think, yeah, just looking at that moment, even now when I look back, you know, it was that creating that prison, what I built, and then putting these huge, I put these huge two meter by two meter paintings around the room and then, put paintings on the inside of the paintings and had holes going through, looking through the room, creating almost these moments of color of hope. And then as you got into the room and you heard, you would then leave the room and then these new paintings came. And from that show, that's what set my journey up and was very fortunate then to have a show at with Yappa, um, and Ackerman Studios at 45 Park Lane and the Dorchester Hotel. And at that moment, I thought, okay, yeah, I can definitely be an artist. Um, so I hope that sort of answered your question in terms of what, like, you know, how the journey began. <laughs> no, abs absolutely. No, I think it's it's a story that I, I, you know, when I first, you know, read about your journey and, you know, what painting and art really is for you. It, it, you know, it's an inspiring tale for sure. I think it's also testament to the healing properties of art. You know, I've spoken to a lot of artists recently and, you know, I, I can think of three off the top of my head who all, you know, were, were saved in, for want of another word, by art and by the impact it had on their lives. And they are continuing to be artists today to, you know, to critical acclaim. So I think there's definite uh, reason and rhyme to, you know, not saying that you need to have gone through trauma to be, you know, a great artist, but I think it offers a unique perspective on the world, the way you see it. And I think that's what makes some of these works so interesting. Exactly. And I think it's, yeah, it's like you say, it's not, you don't need true art trauma. It's almost just what your personal story is to tell. And for me, I still think that year, I remember it was like third year, I missed everything. I was just, yeah, I was bed bound for at least a year. I think it was a year and a half. And at the time I felt 
genuinely felt, okay, is this what I'm going to be doing? And then soon as I got started to get stronger, painting was the first thing I turned to. But instead of painting anything, you know, realistic, I was just like, I'm just painting abstract. And I've not painted, I think the last time I painted a portrait was probably three or four years ago. And abstractions has become my love. And I think maybe it was that way of just feeling free, that way of almost, like you say, a meditative process. And and I think, yeah, every artist has their calling in terms of what it's a moment that probably hits them with their practice. And for me, maybe when we talk in five, 10 years, my practice might change. Um, but at that time, that was a massive moment. And definitely that hope, color, and just trying to make people, you know, like you say, you know, looking at a painting and making you feel good and giving that feel factor. And I think that's what I was so after because of that trauma. Um, and weirdly, you get some people who, you know, you might get some artists who will paint that trauma to show the trauma. I almost did the trauma as for room, the, the sort of installation piece I did. But then the paintings became that journey of being like, this trauma now behind me and I want to create paintings that are uplifting that make you feel positive and just very like tangible you know that feeling of you almost there's still that feeling of being in the room but you're actually now touching something that's very like positive and without yeah I think it's that positivity side I think you know, very important. And I think everyone needs it at a moment in their life. I Would think, you say that you're a very positive person then? Oh, um, I'd say def definitely generally. Uh, I think everyone, everyone has their moments where they feel like, okay, I just need to now just have some time in the studio and not talk to anyone. But um, yeah, I think so. I think it's, I think I try and show that in my work. Uh, try and show a reflection of my personality in my work um, but then you never know like you know at the moment I was tempted about painting this tactile darker series so maybe I don't know is that a reflection of what we're going on at the moment I think yeah but I think yeah I'm very my palette is very if yeah if you look at my palette it's always very much you know, it works, it's working with cadmium reds, it's working with, you know, you know, Viridian greens, titanium white is an old favorite of mine. It just seems to, you know, compared to anything else, like mixing white, titanium white just makes the colors bounce. Um, and yeah, I think also Nate, I, but yeah, nature at the moment is just something I'm very drawn to. And I think maybe from moving down to London, and being in a studio and being in being in a big city because obviously I've always been really in the countryside I feel now nature I almost want to paint it more because I feel you know I feel when you when I look out I see a massive high rise of buildings out my studio and I want to make that feeling of I'm there at nature because I'm maybe because I'm not there in that moment and I feel the series at the moment has a very like, it's a very feel good series. It's a very much, but also a distilling series. But as I say, the idea of these black paintings have been on my mind. So maybe a darker series is, is to come. So. Mm. Yeah, perhaps we'll, we'll wait and see. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes. And then just to touch on your actual kind of, you know, physical, artist's practice you, you mentioned that you're split between two studios is there one you prefer um so yeah so weirdly so the one in london i am far more productive uh, in terms of painting uh but the one in the countryside is where my ideas come it's almost my it's my thought process you know i go for a walk and take everything in 
and then maybe take you know write you know I'm I'm one of these people who use notes and probably got over like five thousand notes of ideas. And you write them in in that moment, and then probably ninety percent of the time you don't ever look at them again. But I feel that's almost how I use it. I use the countryside as that way of, you know, feeling lost. You know, being going out, just taking everything in, and then soon as I get into the studio, and then I'm like, okay, these are my ideas. You know, let's get it. Let's get it on canvas and sit and just go for it. Um, so I think it does work well. Um, I, I think London also, there's so many advantages in the sense you can get inspired by other, other artists. While when I'm in the countryside, my only, my inspiration is purely nature. Um, so I think balance, the balance is, is great if you can do that, but obviously, you know, that, it's very much you have to be you know unfortunate that's my parents are based in the countryside so that's why i can do it totally totally and i think actually what i want to get onto next is your yeah. role as aubrey the collector rather than aubrey the artist yeah yeah exactly the dangerous the dangerous side of it whenever i sell a painting it all the money goes on to buying another painting as my um, girlfriend said, at this rate, you're going to be living under a house of paintings rather than you're having your own place. So it's a, it's it's a sort of an addiction, but something I love, and it I yeah I'm I'm so passionate about it, and I just love seeing art, and it's seeing yeah it's just seeing artists who are oh, probably so far removed from my own style. That is what I'm very drawn to. And and I think, yeah, it's, you know, it's it's stories that you relate to, you know, or or stories that are so far away from, you know, when I first saw like Alexander Guy's work, I, I was amazed by it and actually been, you know, saw his work at Carl Costell and then I was, sent you a picture the other day Leo, and I actually shared with Caroline the other day this little gem of Batsy unensembled um which I got from Hill Hill Auctions in America and it's a 1988 piece and I've just got it literally it's just in the next door room and I'm fascinated by it um and I think that's the thing it's work the collecting side is yeah it's something you're, it's great because you're supporting artists, but then you're getting something you love. And I feel it's it's just a great way of almost understanding and learning. I think I feel when you collect, you as an artist, you learn more as well because you know you look at a painting on your wall. You know when you're in a gallery, I quite often find you you all go around. And you actually don't take in the work quite often. You're you're walking around and you're talking to people. You're you're maybe having a drink, and you walk close to the work, and then you're suddenly talking to someone and you bypass it, and then you go back and you're like, okay, I need to have another look at this. But you don't really. I feel to really understand the piece, you almost need to live with it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that, actually. It's an interesting one that, you know, with the, the lack of openings and the, you know, the rise of the online show, you know, I, I will forever lament it. I, I always miss a physical show, but it does mean that you're forced yeah. to regard the art in isolation, which I think is an interesting kind of thing. 100%. I think, yeah, it's, you're you're forced to sort of see it in in different ways and almost creating which i think is quite an interesting concept is you're creating a museum gallery in where you live and i find that so fun is like you know you're creating your own mini show just in your space so you might have work one day and then you move it to another place and you know there's so many artists you know who i love at the moment and there's so like you know even you know, there's been artists like, you know, Canyon Caster, who I think is amazing artist, incredible. You know, Ollie App, who's another 
but they're all all these artists I'm mentioning, you know, they're they're very digital, which is quite you know so far from my work. Uh, I actually love one of your friends. I've recently bought a piece by Sam, one of your one of your one of your boys you showed recently. Absolutely, Sam McKinnon's great choice, great choice. Um, I think his work has it's his it's the personal relationship, you know, of what he's telling that story of almost being like that rugby player artist and almost you can just see it so personable and I think that's the thing when you look at say Sam's work Alexander's work everything's so personal quite often you you relate to it so much but then sometimes you're like that's not me at all as a person but you almost feel you're there with them enjoying that moment or or hating that moment but you feel that work comes alive and it's in a different way and it's quite funny, me and you, I think we often, we send artists and if we could choose our list, we would need a bigger place than the National National Gallery at this rate because I think me and you are probably sending works. We're like, oh, that's amazing. I'd love to have that piece. And I think that says a lot, though, for how many good artists there are oh, out totally, there. Totally, totally. There's innumerable numbers of fantastic artists. I think there's... And I mean, that's just the challenge, isn't it? You know, how do you how do you see through it and find what you really want? Which is where I think, you know, my advice whenever I'm, you know, in a role as an advisor, I think I always just urge collectors to really understand the work and connect with the artist. And, you know, I think it, you know, I, I don't like to use the term investment sometimes because there's not always the, I, I don't really encourage people to buy with the eye to you know just make money on it i think it's more about falling in love with the piece and having the joy of it and I, I love the idea that you mentioned of having a you know like a home museum gallery of being able to curate your own space and produce these mini exhibitions for yourself i think that is part of the joy of of collecting art it invites other people's views and marks into your space and i think it kind of allows you to digest culture with you know, with your eyes, I think it's a wonderful thing to do. Definitely, definitely. I think it's, you know, it's a passion. It's, it's, a, and it also connects so many people. You know, if you get someone who comes over to your house, it's that story that you tell about work. And I feel it just creates something. I feel art, creativity. You know, a painting tells so, tells so many stories. And especially, I think right now in lockdown everyone has realized the importance yeah the importance that art can have you know whether whether it's people just connecting in a family connecting and talking about a piece or or even inspiring people you know i've got i've got friends at the moment who aren't arty at all and they've you know just because they live with some nice art and they've they they're now picking up their paintbrush and they're now creating pieces and I think that's amazing and I feel creativity is it's so important it's it's what makes us human and I feel you know you know being creative it, it, you know it doesn't, you don't need to be an artist you know being a collector is creative what you collect is creative as you say you know there's so many pieces which hit your hit you straight away but i think the important thing for me is you know when i first started i i did a couple of rush buys and just because i thought oh, they're amazing and now i've realized the big thing is you've got you know there's so many good things but actually go out there go and see the work then go and sleep on it you know don't feel almost you need to rush sometimes because I feel that is sometimes a thing that, especially driven by big galleries, is that you need to rush to make the purchase because you're going to miss out. But actually go out there and just enjoy it, then read up about the artist and then, you know, maybe go and then see the artist at his studio and speak to him and go out there and connect and just say hello. And I think... That's such a big thing. And I think an artist, I know from myself, I love that feeling when a collector sends you a message. You know, even if they don't say, even if they don't go for the work, you know, if they go and speak to you about your work and just say, what what, what does this work mean? Why are you doing it? Can I come to your studio and see it? 
it's that feeling of why you want being an artist because it makes you know someone's getting something out of it and i feel that's why for me i'm so driven by collecting i think it's you know meeting personalities so many different personalities creating works you know you know i at the moment there's an amazing african art scene going on you know when you go into places like lagos um one of my good one of my good friends actually who we've slightly connected through instagram is this guy called azu and um we've we've had we've had lots of chats and we sort of connected through this whole journey and it's amazing how you can connect to somebody who is based in a completely different continent and i think that's so beautiful and i think that's what i love about instagram as well um instagram is is an amazing place to just go and find art um you know you can be scrolling through and it can become one of those addictions where you lose sight of everything else around you because it is it's it's a it's bringing a gallery to your room and i i i probably will churn on instagram i did go for a really bad phase on lockdown and honestly Leah, i was like when I when I went through this phase, I, I checked something disgusting. It was something like fourteen hours a day on Instagram, and I I, I was like, okay, yeah, I need Good to now keep on God, it. Man, I know it's shocking. It was shocking. It was sort of I was in my studio, would pick it up, and then would be on my phone sort of until one, two in the morning, just scrolling through arc, you know. And I feel that's what it becomes. It becomes almost this thing where you can live and breathe, you know, you're painting in the day and then till two in the morning, you're, you're looking at art or talking to an artist who's out in America. No, totally. No, I think the thing is, I think the big thing is, yeah, just buy what you love because fashions do change. You know, I think that, that would probably be my biggest advice. Make sure you buy what you love going you know it's so easy to be like i know i'm in i know i can be slightly influenced by this but there is so many because on instagram you can be so influenced by what who's getting what and it and it and it's a different world of collecting there's a world of collecting where it almost becomes it's like nfts at the moment it's very much it's almost like a driven stock market and that side i think is just it's so dangerous because you don't know what's going to happen and also you're buying things that do you actually love it like i look at you know some collectors um and it's amazing soon as one art one big collector goes and buys a work suddenly everyone follows and actually why don't you know i think everyone has an amazing eye you just go out and buy your thing and you know, you might be that person, then everyone starts following. And it's, it is a difficult one because I know, Leah, me and you have spoken about this before, is art collecting, there's so many different ways. Do you love a piece just because you want it in your house? Do you then go down the dangerous rocky side where it becomes an investment? And there are some amazing investors. You know, I've seen some amazing art dealers who do, you know, they do incredibly well from art collecting. You know, there's some huge um, collectors. I, I'd recommend artists definitely to follow these collectors because they, they just seem to be buying art pretty much most days. But it's people like Dan Wynn, Raph, um, you know, again, the world of sort of, you know, the Carl Costal world. There's a massive collector base there. Yeah, totally agree with you and i think it's interesting talking about you know buying art to invest in it i think it's really important people understand when they buy art to invest in it it's a long-term commitment and it's a commitment to the art to the artist and to just the art kind of you know world as a whole i think if you're going to buy if you really want to invest in an artist repeatedly buy their work go to their shows talk about their work with your friends. These are the things that will help generate a career for an artist rather than just buying one piece and putting it in your back room and hoping for the best. I think if you actually want to help an artist develop, you have to invest in them in the long term 
and become a patron and a long-term supporter. And that is real investing in art. And that will help the art world develop and help artists develop and help create a new kind of generation of, you know, artists. If, if everyone keeps buying, you know, the Picassos and the Richters and things, great. You know, there are the people who have the money who will do that. But actually the emerging art scene and, you know, young artists need people to invest in them long-term in order for that to progress. And the only way you can like guarantee that an artist you buy now will still be making art in 10 years time is if you keep buying their art and sharing it and talking about it, which is where networking and, you know, having these art openings is so important. It's, it's a, as much as it's an industry of art, it's an industry of people. And I think that's something that's been damaged through the pandemic, but also, as you said, the rise of online Instagram, discussing things with people worldwide, huge, huge potential for, you know, networking and future relationships. So I think it's a really exciting time, but I urge anyone and everyone who wants to, you know, support the arts going forward to just do it long term and invest in artists, not just art. Exactly. I completely Sorry, agree. Sorry, a bit of a spiel there. No, you got, you got to go for it. I love that. Um, I, I, I definitely agree. And I think that's the thing, you know, go in like as a collector, like I think it's so, you know, when you buy a work, Go and sing the name of the artist. Go and shout it out from, you know, the clifftops. Go and like, you know, even if you if you think a collector, you think someone who is obsessed by art and you've bought work, don't feel the shame of sharing it. Just share it and send it to them and say, look at this amazing piece I've bought. Because that is what an artist needs. It's all at the end of the day, our Damien Hurst, are they all the best artists? Probably not in terms of a lot of weight, but they're networking kings. And that is art as a collector. It's so important to just help share the work to, you know, you know, even sharing it, even to people who don't collect art, just share the artists. And I feel that is so important. And, you know, that's a way of, you know, being a community you know as an artist i share quite a lot of work I, th I think that term community that term community is so important and i think it's 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 a symbiotic relationship between you know artists buyers collectors dealers galerists all of it you know i think it's you, know, you, you can't have one without the other almost yeah definitely right so just to finish up and to end on a on a nice easy fresh note Right. Here's the question for you, Orbs. Yeah. Throughout this go. conversation, you've been talking about color quite a lot. Do you yeah. have a favorite? Oh, hard one. You're making me have to think here. I think, yeah, if I had one color, it'd be blue. Yeah, blue. Blue, I just any, think... Any particular blue? Um, really, I think, yeah, I love a strong Prussian blue very much but i think prussian blue it's a difficult you know it's probably not a classic prussian blue you know it's the way i love handling prussian blue i feel prussian blue is almost when you look at it out of the tube it's almost you know you're getting converging on the close it's such a dark midnight blue it's almost black but then soon as you add, you know, white or you mix the colors, it, you can lighten it up so well. But there are, yeah, there's so many good blues. Like I love ultramarine. I love Cerulean. Um, I love light blue. But yeah, I think blue, if I had one color to take away, let's go with Prussian blue. Let's Superb. do that. Superb. A, lo a lovely choice. Now, next question, and this is one I ask everyone who comes on on the podcast. So you may have prepared for it, although I sincerely doubt you have. Yeah, um, let's do it. If you were given an exorbitant sum of money, and so cash isn't a problem, what piece of art would you buy for me? Oh, hard, hard, hard one. Because um, I was going to actually say, just before we said that, going to give you this is going slightly off it topic but there are a couple of artists you know i would definitely recommend people to check out you know people like tunji adina jones collins of jogi um you know 
Cardenas, um, Rafi, Raf Sil- Silva, who, who just did an amazing show at Artist Contemporary. Um, Anna, I'm a massive fan of Anna Woodward. She's uh, fantastic. Um, so I just, yeah, I definitely check out Rafa. He, I think he's very exciting, young artist. Um, actually, no, he's 30, bizarrely, he's 38 from, from Brazil, but very young in his career. Um, and still young, of course, at 38, mm. still a young man. Um, but yeah, we're going back to artists. Oh, it's a hard one. I love, I absolutely love Emily May Smith. Um, uh, she's fantastic. Turns these, turns uh, broom brushes, uh, basically makes human figures. And they're almost, they're, they're basically like broomsticks. And they're very, her, she, it's very like almost traditionally painted. And she's amazing, Emily May Smith. She's had amazing big shows. Um, that would be an artist who I absolutely love, but because you've said we've got an unlimited amount of money, uh, it does change it because, you know, someone like Peter soul, I think is fantastic. And I know you love as well. Um, and you know, even someone like Austin Lee who works with virtual reality, I think he's very cool, but as the money, the pot of gold is there. I think, you know, I'm going to have to go for the main man, Gerhard Richter. You know, I'd buy you, I'd buy you a nice big cage series from the tape, nick it from the, get it from the tape. It's actually at the Gagawazen Gallery at the moment on show and get you one of his. Probably, I'd probably go for cage six. I think that's the best cage. And that's a stunning work. That's the man, the meister. He's the king, basically. I think great choice. Gerhard, great choice. Have one of those. Enjoy. No, I certainly shall. And actually, it's almost a little bit similar to one of your works, one of your earlier stuff. Um, so no, I would happily take that. That was a lovely piece. Thank you kindly. And actually, all these artists you've just mentioned are all superb. Um, yeah, I think Anna's doing brilliant stuff right now. So, you know, I think she's definitely one to watch as well. But um, yeah, well, that's kind of where our journey ends. It's been wonderful to chat. Yeah, Thanks no, for joining me. No, Leo, thank you so much. And honestly, it's been it's been very, I've enjoyed every moment. And, you know, if anyone does want to, you know, listening in and suddenly says they want to talk about my own art, I'm very happy or, or even have a chat about, you know, these some of these artists. Um because, you know, I do love, as Leo knows, I love talking about it. And going, you know, de- I definitely recommend going, checking them out. And I definitely think, you know, have a look on Ad Acra um, African Art Foundation, which is amazing. Um, they've got an amazing group of art. art so this, um, so it's run by like Azu, Jana, and princess and they've got an amazing group of african artists um going on at the moment ranging from people like um you know collins anyway zandy you know the list it's it's fantastic but you know just yeah just a massive thank you for having me on no pleasure pleasure it's been delight and i'll uh, i'll chat to you in a week and there we have it the end of another episode for you there hope you enjoyed listening to Aubrey and I chat it wasn't too boring for you <laughs> uh, now you can catch up with Aubrey on his Instagram which is Higgin underscore art and to see all the images we discussed today they'll be posted over on the podcast Instagram which is at curating conversation as ever to keep up with me in the gallery we are at the Rafiki gallery and we currently have an exhibition of Annalisa Merrilis' work, who is a fabulous Scottish emerging artist, so I urge you to have a look at that. If you did enjoy the podcast, please, please tell your friends, share, tag us, do all of that stuff. And if you really want to support the podcast, head over to our Ko-Fi, which I'll put a link to in our description, which lets you support the podcast uh, via that as well, which helps us keep creating. Anyway, have a lovely day, and uh, be good to each other.